punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are most again! Hello, and welcome back to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined as always by Nesson.com's Mike Cole and Lauren Campbell. Guys, what's happening? What's happening? Not a lot. Actually, well, maybe a lot. I guess it depends if that's a professional or a personal question. Um, What is happening is the start of the NHL season. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 13th, which means we are actually one day into the NHL season. Uh, For reasons not totally clear, maybe you guys know this, the Bruins don't play until Saturday. Their first game is, what, five days after the official start of the NHL season. Is that building availability? Do we even know why they basically begin the season on a hiatus? No idea. Not a clue. Because even if it was building availability, it would be building availability of like 10 to 12 teams. Like it's not like they have to be locked into that one matchup on that one night. Yeah. Well, and then they play their second game isn't until Wednesday. So they, are off to a very plotting start. Which what is, be, that is so bad. That's their well, their April schedule's loaded too. Oh, that is don't they so, have like 15, 16 games in April? Yeah, something like that. I don't think they doing? have more than two days off, like more than once in April. Uh, so maybe one day we'll get there. Right now it's still October. The leaves are changing. Uh only what about 10 days later than usual for the start of the NHL season. Um, but it is upon us. And that means that the Boston Bruins eventually in due course will end up playing uh, regular season games. So we'll take the next, however long uh, to take a look at the Bruins and also maybe a quick uh, trip around the league, a trip around the rink as they might call it. Uh, or at least that's what I'm going to call it. So I guess the starting point and Lauren will uh, go with you first would be what is your biggest takeaway from the last three weeks to a month of Bruins training camp? Uh, the Bruins. I mean, I'm honestly surprised that Jack Stanika um, is not starting the season in the NHL. I understand why he's not, but I thought he really impressed in camp and being waivers exempt probably helped his case to go to the AHL at this point. But other than that, I really liked what I've seen from Charlie, uh, Charlie Coyle. I think he's, it's only one game, but I think he's meshed well with Craig Smith and Taylor Hall there. And I think that if he can mirror what he did in that preseason game going forward with the season, that's going to be a very dangerous second line. Michael. Uh, For me, it's the play of Lena Solmark to pick up on a previous conversation from our last meeting. Um, I look right so far. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pat myself on the back. Um, I have not been impressed. The numbers don't look good. He deserves the benefit of the doubt moving into the season because he had a good season last year. He's been good before. Um, and he's still learning a new system or learning how to play behind a new system and getting familiar with new surroundings and maybe hasn't had that full lineup out there in front of him a ton, but he, uh, the save percentage, I think, is, was below 900, which is alarming. Um, made some some gaffes with the puck. Uh, and I don't know. It was just was not impressive. But maybe he's a slow starter. Maybe it just takes some time to get going. But I think that is something that kind of stands out when you pay a guy that kind of money um, to, to be your number one, at least entering the season. He sure, certainly doesn't look like it so far. It feels like it's Swayman's net, but we'll see. 
Are you buying the excuse that I saw today that him being injured at the end of last year and this and getting effectively eased into camp and preseason action is the, the impetus for the poor play? Sure. But okay. it was still bad. I don't, you know, like, yeah, no, it was objectively bad. I mean, they, he missed I mean, everything they, five hole. They know, they know that a lot more than that. Maybe that's the case. But even if that's the case, then all right, fine. You're then, then my storyline or, takeaway turns into all right so the guy you paid to be your starting goaltender isn't ready for the regular season it's also weird too because like I feel like a lot of players will experiment during the preseason and do things they might otherwise not do and I admittedly did not watch Lena Soldmark enough in Buffalo to be able to pinpoint if certain tendencies of his were getting tweaked this off or this training camp or what is that a does that happen in hockey I That's feel funny. like it does. Why would you I, not? Like the, I know the, it happens like baseball all the time. Like you, you take you can't look at baseball spring training stats and take anything from them. Like a lot of it is just ramping up. And maybe that's a fair point. Maybe that's where Olmark is right now. But I don't remember ever having this sort of conversation about Tuka Rask, for example. Like it never felt you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. We never talked about that with Tuka, did we? Like he was no, we waited until like Thanksgiving. Until yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, obviously that is a very big storyline. I mean, they hitched their wagon to Lena Solmark for multiple years and the early returns aren't great, but at the same time, if I was doing cartwheels over how great a player was during the preseason, you two would probably call me a bozo. So I, I if I could just interject real quick, part of my take is also tied to Swayman looking so good on the. That's the true. So that's kind of where I, this was five minutes of Mike just saying I was right. Like, cause so far, cause that was my thing is I thought Swayman was ready to go and he looks ready to go so far. And there are question marks about Olmark. So. Well, I have always felt the best time to take victory laps for preseason predictions was mid October. Um, I guess my did not. <laughs> well my my big prediction was that john moore was going to have a breakout year which he did have a good camp but i don't think it's entirely fair to say he may have a breakout year playing in springfield and hartford and hartford has it you know me i love hartford and Binghamton, we both love springfield Lowell, uh, <laughs> portland utica utica wilkesbury hamilton <laughs> norfolk um we could do this all day we love minor league hockey. Uh, my biggest takeaway would probably be the fact that it was just understood, I guess. This might be another thing for you guys to step in and correct me. It feels like it ended up just being understood that Trent Frederick was going to be in the lineup. Like, he was fine last year at the beginning of the year, and then he flamed out quite a bit. And part of it was because he got sick and he just never rebounded. I was not overly impressed with him during camp and during what I saw of the preseason games, like his preseason performance. And... I mean, they, they put Chris Wagner on waivers so that they could have Trent Frederick, Carson Kuhlman, and Anton Bleed make the roster instead. Uh, but the fact that Frederick this entire time has basically been effectively considered a shoe-in for the lineup, whilst Bruce Cassidy is saying that he needs more from him, was kind of interesting to me. And I wouldn't say that's my number one takeaway. The Sadnika part is probably the, the big part of it, but for the purpose of not duplicating, I'll go with that. Um, they need him to be good. He showed times last year that he can be very good. Uh, at first, I'm skeptical. So that's probably the thing I am uh, looking out for the most. But 
Let's dive in maybe a little bit deeper into the Sudnika part. I mean, I am of the belief that if he was not a waivers exempt player, he would be with Boston right now. I would we agree that that's fair to say? Oh yeah, I don't think there's any other way around it. What do you? I, okay, so here's where we'll open it up. I am of the belief that Jack Sudnika is a lot better off playing the first or second line center in Providence and playing. 17 minutes 18 minutes a night as opposed to being in Boston and basically getting pushed to a fourth line job or a third line wing job something like that um do you either of you guys think he should be in the NHL right now I think he earned it through training camp I think he looked really strong and I mean he's only one injury or one couple games away from being called up anyway Um, but I, you know, I think I'd be a hypocrite if I said that, you know, what you said about him getting the reps on the first and second line would be good for him because that's probably what they see him in the future. And then, you know, last year I was saying maybe that Jeremy Swayman should start in Providence to get a full year of experience to get that all under his belt. So, you know, play devil's advocate there, but, um, I liked really what I saw from Stanika and he really stepped up in Coyle's absence while Coyle was rehabbing his knee. And I, I mean, just a victim of being waivers exempt is my opinion, but I don't think it'll be long before we see him in the NHL. I, I'm getting to the point where I feel like I might end up being the negative person the entire year. And that's fine by me. Um, it fits my <laughs> character a lot better. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like my, I guess when you were doing your, your preamble there, Logan, the question that kind of just stuck out in my mind is like, well, what do you, what do you do with him? Like, where does he go? And I also think it's kind of counterproductive to keep him around and play him in a bottom six role when like the only thing that they did off this off season, other than sign Olmark was reinforce the bottom six. And so like, he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't fit the mold of, uh, you know, the, the Felino signing type of deal, Eric Howell, like, the, like he doesn't, I don't think, I mean, his ceiling's probably higher, but the floor is lower. And I don't know if he provides the same type of game that they clearly were trying to build in that bottom six. So like short of making him the second line center, I'm, I'm not really sure what they would have done with him. So I think it's probably easier after the fact to be like, well, we have an injury to insert whoever, and then be like, all right, that's where we can put Stanika in and enroll it there. But until then, to your point, Logan, like, let's just get them reps playing with better players and playing in a, in a position in a, you know, I mean, I guess like you can argue like what value there is in playing first line center in the AHL, but like, you know, getting those kinds of minutes, even at that level is more in line probably with what they hope he's going to be long-term. So you might as well go there, especially if the fit isn't great, which I don't think it is right now with how they've built their roster. Yeah, I mean, for one, I think that he looked like a vastly different player in the NHL last year. He was playing center as opposed to wing. Like, the whole putting him on the wing thing, I am very against. He looked confused. Like, it it was almost like, you know, there's how many times you look up and he's just kind of floating. Right. He's he's too heady of a player. Yeah, right. Which uh, it's ultimately to his disadvantage. But guys who are that natural of a center like him should not be playing on. Um, and yeah, putting him in a fourth line role, like I know that he is a pretty decent defensive player, but it's ultimately counterproductive. He should not be doing a job that 
Trent Frederick or Tomas Nosek or somebody is doing. I think also you have to kind of set them up for what you want them to be, right? So that's why, okay, yeah, playing against the top pairing of an AHL team is probably a lot different than playing against even the bottom pairing of an NHL team. But he's still playing a role in Providence that will give him a ton of responsibility. And, excuse me, you're setting him up to be the player that you want him to be. I can't help but wonder what happens if Charlie Coyle comes out a week ago in the last preseason game and looks like last season's version of of himself or anything like that. Like, it sounds to me like the Bruins really wanted to keep him around, but Coyle looking as good as he did in the one-game sample size kind of put the nail on that coffin. Which is kind of nuts but it also makes complete sense. You know what I mean? Like, Well, that's what happens when you're an established NHL player, right? You get that kind of latitude. Sure, but, like, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, like, that's a – and what's the alternative? Like, I guess that's kind of the direction that you have to go, but, like, how many – you know, you've seen streaky players before. Like, maybe Coyle's just that. But that's just – that's kind of more of an aside than anything. And I think – I, I think right now with what they're going to start the season with, like I think this is their best, most balanced lineup, assuming Stanika isn't hasn't taken a, a full step and a half in his progression. You know what I mean? So like you kind of have to see it through to start the year and be like, well, we, we went out and we got these guys. Our idea was to be okay with David Krejci leaving because we had Charlie Coyle coming back supposedly healthy and he's a second line center and that's going to work and we feel confident in that. And so they have to kind of set all of those dominoes in motion before they can start tweaking things. And, you know, if the guy has got a beneficial contract and like Sneka does or a contract situation, then even better. Yeah. It's, I think it's a confluence of a handful of circumstances. Um, okay. So I guess the other note, uh, probably the most noteworthy thing is the fact that they put two very established NHL players on waivers, John Moore and Chris Wagner, both cleared. Uh, but I would say the fall is probably harder for Chris Wagner. I mean, that was a guy that at the same time that they gave Charlie Coyle a huge extension, they gave Chris Wagner an extension. And I think you could tell last season that he was probably starting to fall out of favor a little bit. And that was only reinforced by the fact that they got three bona fide NHL bottom six forwards uh, and then started letting Anton Bleed, Trent Frederick, all those guys just take a ton of minutes during the preseason. So I guess my question is, is the fall, if you will, of Chris Wagner and John Moore more just the reality of the Bruins stockpiling better assets is it a referendum on uh the job sweeney did in 2018 i mean what what do we make of this whole uh debacle with the personnel of guys that were on a team that was a game away from winning the cup um it could be a mix of of everything that you said i think that i mean i did not certainly didn't expect wagner to be the odd man out i know that in my roster projections he was always on that fourth line and i for me in my mind it was a lock for for him to make the team but you know, I think that it doesn't, some, some players unfortunately don't pan out the way you think. Um, it is very surprising, I guess, to say that when you see two established players like Chris Wagner and John Moore, um, especially with their contracts too, like they're not, you know, quote unquote, cheap players by any means. And now they're going to be playing in Providence. 
but much like Stadnika, I mean, there's, there's room for them to come up. I don't think that they'll play the whole season in Providence, but I think it speaks to the contract situation. I think it speaks to Sweeney and 18 and just kind of the play that Wagner and Moore have had, you know, since last year, I know Moore was dealing with an injury. I feel like Moore is always injured too, but at the end of the day, it's, them they lost their spots and now they're going to have to fight in Providence to get them back I think Wagner is the more interesting case uh because I think it's one of the first times or the few times that I can remember that Sweeney has missed on an extension um I can't remember a ton of them off the top of my head that he he gave somebody an extension that was either not warranted or the, the player didn't live up to it and this is a very relative situation too, because I mean, he's, he's making less than a million and a half a year. Like the contract was never going to cripple them. This isn't a huge deal, but I just think it's interesting that like they extended themselves for a bottom six player. I mean, a fourth liner really was like now that they've restocked down there and they've got a handful of players who could fill that role at a lesser cap number and things like that, or would have cost them less money just, actual cash i think it's interesting and from that regard but i don't think it's a huge deal and with john moore it's like i've like two years ago i resigned myself to the bruins not getting anything from john moore and kind of chalking that one up as a swing and a miss which happens too right like it's it's not a you know again you would rather miss on guys making two and a half one and a half million dollars than miss on the guys who are making six million so it's not the end of the world but like i said with more it's kind of like i just at this point, anything you get out of him is gravy. I know Logan would probably beg to differ. But. Yeah, I mean, I've always been in the belief that John Moore is fine if you take the contract out of the equation. I think people act like that deal is way bigger than it is. It's just the term that scares people. It's not often that you give those kinds of guys five years, and they're sort of paying the price for it. I think an understated storyline, specifically with the Wagner part, is the fact that the guys he lost to aren't like these major up and coming prospects. It's Carson Kuhlman and Anton bleed. Uh, and, and I mean, good stories for both guys, right? Like Anton bleed was a six round pick has had a very hard time sticking in the NHL and Carson Kuhlman was undrafted and made, you know, a pretty good impression his first season as a pro. I guess the question now is do either of those guys play well enough to keep Chris Wagner in Providence. I guess if the Bruins season is hinging on the performance of Carson Kuhlman or Anton bleed, then it's probably a lost cause in the first place. But nevertheless, I mean, if I were Chris Wagner, I mean, these were guys that he beat out at camp with relative ease uh, in, in previous years. So uh, like that was previous years too. He was not good last year. No, he wasn't. And, and so, I mean, that's, that, that is a factor too. And maybe that's, I mean, I guess that becomes more of a philosophical question, right? Because Chris Wagner immediately by having a bad season last season, put himself at a disadvantage, if you will, because the Bruins were watching him be basically a puddle of himself. You don't have that same exposure with Carson Kuhlman and bleed two guys that Cassidy is on the record saying that he likes Kuhlman in particular. And so, but they didn't have the time to basically sully their reputation at the NHL level. So in a way by playing in Providence so much last year, however many games they played last year, 25, then 
they help their case a little bit. Um, it, it's like, just an overall weird story. with Wagner. That's like a fourth line thing, though, too. Like, it's, I mean, this is a much different story if you're talking about a second liner. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, you can take your are- chance on those younger guys because it's like, well, whatever, he's going to play eight minutes a night. Well, I think a lot of teams, there was kind of a shift where a lot of teams started giving these bottom six guys, fourth liners in particular, a decent deal. Like when the Penguins gave Brandon Tanev that big deal, the Panthers ended up snatching away Nolachari, who's, you know, turned into Gretzky in Florida. But (laughs) No kidding. You know, at at the time it was, they were giving a, a, legitimate fourth line center slash right winger, a, a pretty hefty deal uh, compared to what those guys usually get. Most of the time, I feel like you build that with free right. agents on one-year deals or two-year deals like they did with Nordstrom, Nosek, all those guys, or it's your prospects who can play in the NHL but aren't going to give you a ton of scores. It's your, your fourth-round draft picks, yeah. It's, it's your Anton Bleeds and Carson yeah. So, um you know, again, if the Bruins season is hinging on how Anton Bleed, God bless him, ends up playing, then <laughs> I hope we doesn't, are this podcast every week because we're going to be. Doesn't that mean, like, I, I would push back. Doesn't that mean they're pretty good? If the Perhaps. Right? Yeah. I, I can talk myself into that being, or am I wrong? I, doesn't that mean you um, have good hey, depth? You might, sit, you might have to sit on that one for a little bit. I <laughs> guess it depends on what the other. If the only question mark is the fourth line, I, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, the fourth line for the most part hasn't been a question mark the last few seasons, minus last year. Uh, but that's a, a rabbit hole. I don't think we need to go down no. today. Um, so I guess to sort of wrap up the Bruins uh, section of all of this, where does everyone stand going into the regular season? I mean, I know Mike, because you've decided that your brand is going to be grouchiness this season. Uh, you were a little bit more down than the rest of us, but. Where's, where's everybody at entering uh, Saturday, October 16th? I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that, you know, there's a lot of changes. It's more than just Tuca and David Krejci leaving. It's, you know, there's who knows who's going to be in goal. If it's going to be Allmark, are we going to see uh, preseason Allmark? Are we going to see uh, winning goalie from Buffalo Allmark? So there's a lot of questions there. But, I mean, me, whether it's him or Jeremy Swayman, they're both good goalies. Um, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling, like I said, cautiously optimistic. I'm not like over the top thinking this team is going to go ease their way into a Stanley cup playoff run, but they're going to be competitive. And I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think it's a disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. And I think missing the playoffs is in, in the picture it's in play. Um, I still think push comes to shove. They find a way to get in. And I think it's, we're kind of in the middle or we have been for a couple of years of a transitional period. Um, and I think it was interesting. The, the athletic, the story, uh, I don't know when they published it sometime this week with like their, they did tiers uh, and they had like the top tier is MVP. The uh, second tier is franchise player. Third tier is all-stars and the fourth tier is top line players. And the Bruins had five players on that list on the top 100 list. Uh, only Dallas, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Colorado had more players on the list. Bruins had nobody in the top tier. They had three players in the second tier, which was the first line and McAvoy, and then Hall was in the fourth tier. It's a long way of saying, like, there's still top-end talent here, um, but they're an injury or two away from guys who have been injured in the past uh, from, from being in trouble, I think is the, my point, is that they're, they're top-heavy, and that should be enough to get you into the playoffs. 
Um, but I wonder what it looks like long-term. That's kind of speaking to my theme of this being a bit of a transitional period for the Bruins. But like, if those guys all play up to their level and stay healthy, then yeah, you're going to contend for, for, a, um, for a playoff spot. I do think it's worth noting though, that two of those teams with more players on that list are Tampa Bay and Toronto and they're both in your division. So, you know, I, that's why, that's where a lot of my pessimism comes from in terms of their playoff odds or their playoff capabilities is it's just going to be tough. Like, you know, if you put them in, in a different division, I'd be like, they're going to, they're going to contend for that division. I just think it's there. It's, it's tough in the Atlantic. So we'll see. Um, I am, I guess I would, is there, what's, what's a notch below cautiously optimistic? Is that just skeptical, cautious? skeptical, I guess. Yeah. Uh, open-minded is probably a nicer way of putting it. Um, <laughs> no, because open-minded gives you too many outs because well, I just, you end up winning the yeah. presence trophy. will be like, this is why I was open-minded. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it is. I guess open-minded might as well be a synonym for on the fence. Um, but I, yeah, I, like I said, the talent's there to be a wild card team, in my opinion, it would not shock me if they, they missed the playoffs, but it also wouldn't shock me if they won the division. So but I just think a lot more has to break right for them this year than it has in years past for them to be among the best teams in the NHL. Again. See, so I would tend to agree with that. However, part of me wonders if that's because there's so much change that I just don't know what to expect because that's as, a fair point. Yeah. Because as I think about it, I'm like, well, that the bottom nine, the second right. through fourth lines, I think are probably better than they were last season overall, especially with the way the season began. I mean, because now they have the Hall edition that completely changes the dynamic of it. I think that their fourth line has a lot more, uh, I, I don't know, offensive upside. Like, I really like the no sex signing, I really like Eric Hall too. Um, and I think they could actually get a surprisingly fair amount out of Nick Felino now that they don't have to play him in a like Columbus did in the top six role, basically. So I think that there's a way that they can get the most out of some of those guys just by virtue of the depth that they have and where all the pieces are going to fall. I mean, Vegas got to a point last year where they were playing Nosek on the third line. Hollow's played a middle six role, sometimes fourth line center much of his career, and then the Felino aspect of things. So I think for part of it for me is like, I just don't entirely know what to expect. Uh, but at the same time, I think I can see the ceiling, especially with that third line. Like the third line has probably the opportunity to be as good as it was back in 20, what was it? 2019 when it was Johansson, Heinen and uh, Coyle all kind of at their best during the postseason. Uh, I think that we ultimately will have to see how the rest of the division shakes out before making a judgment on whether or not making the playoffs is their fault or not, because I think that they could be very good and still end up not making the playoffs. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Florida. I think Tampa will be good again. I think Toronto will be good again. Uh, Montreal was just in the cup final. I think they're going to take a step back, but they will probably be good again. Um, you know, the, the only teams in that division that aren't competitive are Detroit and uh, Buffalo and Ottawa. Ottawa. Um, and so, and I think even Ottawa will be better. I was going to say, you could argue two of those three teams are better than they were last year, too. Ottawa yeah. Considerably. I mean, Detroit finally got a goalie, right? Yeah. And they made some nice moves around the margins. I mean, Nick Letty and Pia Suter. Right. So the Red Wings will be better. I think Ottawa will be way better. Yeah. Um, ultimately, the Bruins do should be able to carve their own path to the playoffs. And the way I look at it, too, is 
And sometimes I have to sort of extricate myself from the Boston media market and narratives around the Bruins and look at what everyone else around the country says. And everybody else thinks the Bruins are going to be really good. Um, so part of me wonders if I'm just getting sucked into the uh, cynical nature that can sometimes come from being around a team all the time and having to find holes to poke. I thought um, you were going to say from being around me. Oh, well, yeah, that also is a train on pretty much. Fairly, fairly offensive. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, I guess, put a pin in the Bruins, unless any of you guys have any thoughts on that part before we switch and put our, uh, our national media hats on. No. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, so my first recommendation is head to Nesson.com. Nesson bets specifically uh, headlined by Mike and to apparently a lesser degree myself. Um, and you can read our Nesson experts make their Stanley cup and award predictions. Now the three of us are the self-described experts. One year I put experts in quotation marks and our editor took it out and said, don't sell yourself short. I probably would prefer to sell myself short, uh, kind of tempers the expectations, but nevertheless, we are self-described experts. And so around the, uh, the league merry-go-round we go. Um, all right, Hart Trophy, we all disagreed on this. So uh, we'll, we'll just go in the same order we've been, Lauren, Mike, and Logan. Yeah, so my Hart Trophy winner this year is Nathan McKinnon from the Avalanche. I just think that one of the best players on one of the league's best teams, it's going to lead to good things for him. And he was a finalist last year. And I have no reason to believe that he'll hit any sort of regression this year. I got Austin Matthews. I think he scores 50 goals. I think Toronto is one of the best teams in the NHL, at least in the regular season. And playing in that market should get him all the attention in the world. So it can be Austin Matthews for that one. Yeah, I had Connor McDavid. I've usually gone with Panarin, I think, the last two years. I went with McDavid because – I feel like if he picks up at the pace he was at last season, it will be impossible not to give it to him. Uh, and, and their top six is better too. I like the Zach Hyman pickup. Uh, Norris Trophy, you two agreed. Neither of us had uh, Charlie McAvoy, but I know Mike went with the UMass angle that chose one with the uh, head instead of the heart. Yeah, it's, he's, I, I mean, Kale McCarr is, I mean, I think he's one of the 10 best players in the NHL already. Uh, he, he is, he plays so far above his age. That's a position that traditionally it takes a long time to learn in the NHL. He already looks like one of the best defensemen in the entire league. Um, and so like, I think even if he takes like an incremental step forward, that puts him like, put him in the, put him on the ballot or the finalists, put him on the little card in ink. Cause you know, like it, he's got room to grow, which is a scary, scary idea. And if he, he, you know, uses any of that room to grow this year, it's going to put him at, on like a level that I'm not sure anyone can match. Yeah. I also have Makar as my Norris trophy and just, I mean, Mike said it all. He's just an incredibly special player. His presence on the penalty kill and power play is insane. Um, and he's in one of the best, if not the best defenseman in the league heading into the season. So and Mike said it best, if he takes the smallest step forward, that's scary enough. And if he stays the same, that still makes him a very threatening player. So I think this is Makar's um, award to lose. I would probably agree with that. I ultimately went with Jacob Slavin, and I think that's partially because I think he's been one of the best defensemen in the NHL the last few seasons. And I would even go as far as to saying, depending on who looks better this season between Jacob Slavin and Dougie Hamilton, will 
I don't know, have an inside track, if you will, to winning the Norris because that has been such a good pairing for so long in Carolina. And if one proves that they can uh, play just as well without the other, that is obviously a, uh, a referendum on them and their abilities. So I went with Jacob Slavin because I think that he does just about everything well and will continue to do so even without Dougie Hamilton. Uh, Selkie, you two also agreed, went with the Bruins angle. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think it's the safe answer, but I also think it's an answer that, I mean, every year Bergeron's in this conversation for a reason. And I think it's only a matter of time until he gets that fifth award. And one of these years I'm going to be right. So hopefully it's this year. Yeah, it's just a math problem for me. He's been in a finalist last 10 years or whatever. So like I said in the story, if he makes it 11, I've got a one in three chance of being right there. So I think it's probably the, I don't feel great about it just because, I think injuries and or load management are going to be a factor for him at some point this season. So maybe he doesn't have the, um, doesn't have the, the body of work that other players in the league will, but I think if it's anywhere close, he kind of gets a, a benefit of being uh, the elder statesman who was synonymous with the award. So. I don't know Joel Erickson Eck. He finished fourth last year, uh, very slow start to his career. So he played a lot uh, in the fourth line for Minnesota when they were bad the last few seasons and he actually used it to really refine his defensive game. So everything else has sort of come around for him to where it's supposed to be. Uh, I thought for a while that it might be sort of the Anthony Sorelli award. Uh, I figured he would be sort of the Anzi Kopitar, Patrice Bergeron of the future. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll alter that. I like Joel Erickson and with the wild being much better and a bit more uh, recognized nationally. I think that helps his case from a voting standpoint. Uh, the Vezina trophy. I went with Semyon Varlamov from the New York Islanders this year. Um, I really liked what I saw from him last year in 25 starts. Or, and I know last year was a shortened season, but now he's got the chance to play a full 82 games, maybe get 55, 60 starts under his belt. And I have no reason to believe that he won't put up numbers like last year. Um, he was tied for Flurry with seven shutouts, and Flurry won the Vesna last year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. I got Connor Hellbuck. Uh, 916 save percentage last season with parking cones in front of them. They went out and they addressed their blue line. I think getting even a little bit better in front of him will make him look a lot better, take a lot of the stress off of him. Maybe they can even manage his workload a little bit. The volume numbers won't be there for him this year, but I think uh, he'll stand out and they'll be improved and he'll have a better chance narrative-wise of, of getting in the conversation. Jets have always been a, uh, a defenseman short, and they got yeah. two this year. So yep. that's good. The Nate Schmidt signing was – he pops up on some of those uh, sports books for Norris Trophy. He's a nice player. He is, uh, yeah. I, I went with Darcy Kemper. Uh, I think that he had been very good in front of basically an offensively – or defensively inept Coyotes team the last few years. Like the, A lot of their defensemen, even their best ones, like Oliver Eckman Larson, not great defensive players. Uh, St. Alex Kologoski, like he, he was playing very well with a poor defensive team in front of him. So I think if you put him on Colorado, a team that's far more structured, far better, um, and has sort of helped Philip Grubauer go from a backup in Washington behind Braden Holtby to a star goalie who just got a pretty hefty contract, then you have to like the uh, potential there. Uh, Art Ross trophy, we can probably just bypass this one because all three of us chose Connor McDavid would be stupid to pick against anybody else. He like had, maybe can make the case for Dreisaitl or Matthews. 
He had nine <laughs> points in four preseason games. Yeah, it's stupid. It's uh, silly. Okay, so Jack Adams trophy. We actually all differed on this one, too. I'm going with Bruce Cassidy, and I think it's because he has a chance to do a lot. And not that he doesn't have a lot on his roster, but a lot he can do a lot with a lot of different people this year. And people that when you lose Tuca and David Krejci, that leaves huge holes. So he has a chance here to really prove that he can build a strong team. He can make this team mesh well. And I, with all the new faces, if this can be a successful season, I think it's going to go in Cassidy's favor. I got uh, Gerard Gallant in uh, New York. Uh, I think the Rangers have all the talent in the world. David Quinn was clearly not the guy to get him to the next level. Gallant, you look at the fact that it was, what, three years ago he took a team in its first year to the Stanley Cup final. Clearly he's doing something right. I think he's going to be able to maximize the talent there. Um, and I think that division is kind of open for them to take. And I think if they contend for that, you know, doing it in New York, getting that team back to – to prominence to top that division. I think that goes a long way in getting him votes. Uh, and then I had Jeremy Colliden. Uh, he, he's gotten a little bit out of the, the youngsters in Chicago, Kirby dog, um, Alex to bring it all those guys. And then they went in and added uh, Seth Jones, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he's still a higher end defenseman. And then of course, Mark Andre Fleury and they're getting Jonathan Taves back. So I think maybe beyond Colleton's uh, abilities in the first place, the, the Blackhawks got better. Like he walked into a better situation this season. Uh, but if you make an original six team a contender, once again, that's going to get a lot of people's attention. I mean, the, the NHL, frankly, is better when, uh, and, oh, Mike, are you about to make the case that that's what Gallant's going to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe that's what it'll come down to. But um, I had to double check that Colleton is not younger than, or not, younger than me he is not he's older than i am so yeah i look he's born in 85 right yeah yeah thank god yeah that's i not I, right I, that. that i'd be within 10 years of an nhl coach at this point oh. either <laughs> uh okay caller trophy uh, i went with trevor zegras from the ducks i think that the ducks aren't going to be super competitive this year but it's going to open up a lot of ice time for zegras and it's going to be able to take his game to the next level and stuff that we didn't really get to see last year from him. Lauren, we got to see Trevor Zegris together at uh, the Bean Pot. He extended our life right before uh, our night, right before COVID, because he, he did and uh, a regulation winner against Northeastern. So I, proud I to be about, you. He is about to wonder how he extended your life. Yeah. My life. <laughs> if anything, he shortened my life. I, that, that one almost drove me to smoking that night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Give me Cole Caulfield. Uh, for the Canadians, it was awesome in limited action last year. He's American. I like that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, an American in Montreal, it's like a, it's, it's a bad book title. Um, but I do think he, you know, they're, that again, they, they have high expectations. Um, I think he is a spark plug. Uh, you know, if he, again, it's kind of like the Matthews things. If he, he does well in, in a Canadian market like that, becomes a, you know, a phenom within the league. He's going to get a lot of votes. So I'll go with Cole Caulfield. I'm with Spencer Knight, uh, mainly because Sergei Bobrovsky always finds a way to seed all of his playing time to his backup. Uh, and the Panthers wouldn't have let Chris Drieger go if they didn't think that Spencer Knight was ready. Uh, has a lot of the, the raw skills that you like to see from a young goaltender. And so I can very much see a situation play out whereby – January he's the number one in Florida and I am bullish on the Panthers as I have been each of the last 
now three seasons. So I would suspect that if he is able to guide them to a very successful regular season, then that would make a very good case for him to win the call there. Uh, so to wrap all this up, put a nice little bow on us, uh, our prognostication, if you will, uh, the Stanley Cup picks for everybody. Lawrence was not a surprise. <laughs> it's not a surprise. Um, I have the Avalanche taking down the Tampa Bay Lightning. I just think it's two of the league's best teams, even though they lost key players in the offseason. They're still incredible teams. They're both wagons. I think seeing these two teams in the Stanley Cup would be uh, an awesome, just a, a big showdown there. Um, I think Darcy Kemper is going to remain healthy. McKinnon's going to have that breakout year, and Tampa will not three-peat. I will go with the New York Islanders over the Avalanche. I actually feel worse about the Avalanche part than I do the Islanders because I'm not as sold on their goaltending as you are, Logan, and they just have this bugaboo where they can't get out of the second round. But I think they finally break through this year, and unfortunately for them, they run to an Islanders team that finally gets to avoid the lightning somehow within the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. As, as you guys all know, like we're going back to the old way of doing things here. So you know, maybe it's easier for them to avoid uh, the lightning coming out of the Metro. Um, <clears throat> I saw a lot from that team last year, especially up close to what they did to the Bruins. Uh, I think they're just, you know, they, they need a break or two to kind of get through, but I think they will. And if you get them, it's just their dominant series. They're well coached, they're disciplined. That four check is relentless. I think that they they are the, one of the few teams I feel like that could put the clamps on, a, on an elite, you know, offense like the Avalanche. So uh, I like the Islanders to finally break through here. That would be the absolute worst matchup for the Avalanche if they finally yeah. get to the cup final and they run into the Islanders. Uh, and so I did go with the Florida Panthers. I had them over the Vegas Golden Knights because I think the Golden Knights will just roll through the Pacific Division and give themselves a pretty good situation going into the playoffs. Um, but I think the biggest issue for the Panthers for a while has been the goaltending and the defense. I think that if they get a good version of Bobrovsky, great. If not, I trust Spencer Knight. And they finally retooled their defense enough to where they're like legitimate NHL caliber players playing in the top four there. Aaron Ekblad's healthy again, too. Uh, and then they brought back uh, Brandon Montour. Mackenzie Wegar is probably a distant Norris candidate at this point. I like the Gustav Forsling pickup. Uh, but the offense has never been a, an issue for them. Like they've always been fine up front. They've always been able to score, but they haven't been able to do pretty much anything else defensively. I think that they have uh, thoroughly rectified that issue. So I am going with the Panthers this year. Uh, all right, guys, we're going on like, I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, any parting thoughts before we wrap this thing up? No. Uh, nope. Okay. Well, then we can wait three more days for another Bruins game. And then by the next time uh, we reconvene, they will, I'm pretty sure I've only played just one game. So <laughs> we'll be getting game. ready for another. So uh, maybe we can just dive into a bunch of overreactions after one game. I love watching the stars. So I, I am more than happy to use this as a litmus test as to how good the Bruins are or not. Okay. Mike seems exhausted. This is why you shouldn't let me host Mike. Um, but <laughs> Mike shaking his head, forehead on the desk. That's Mike Lauren. She's also there too. I'm Logan. Thanks for listening to the Ness and Bruins podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe, review, uh, only if it's five stars and if you like us. Uh, but until next time, thanks for listening.